0: Now on 102.9 ESPN
1: Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. That reminds me of Seattle 2010. It's a long story. We don't have time for it today. But that's why music's great. Takes you back. Welcome back. Now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, here on your Tuesday. Missing the first hour of the show, we went around the world of high school hoops in the state of Montana, talked some prep wrestling as well, and gave you our Treasure State Stars best individual performances from around the state of Montana. You can find all of it on the Rosnow podcast, probably presented by the M Store and the MSU Bookstore. We're going to get hour number two kicked off. With some NBA talk. Which I'm very much looking forward to. First of all, John Morant's tweeting again. Of course he is. He says uh, that he thinks the Memphis Grizzlies are the most hated team in the NBA. Uh, funny, an interesting perspective from John Morant. Uh, because, I mean, the, the Grizzlies have been in the news for a variety of reasons. First of all, he got the second best record in the West. And they got one of the the, the uh, blossoming superstars, blossoming young superstars in the league in John Morant. But also, there was the incident courtside uh, when Shannon Sharp tried to pick a fight, and uh, it ended up in some fans getting ejected, and it was there was some controversy, whatever. But also, it seems like John Morant, who's a guy that you know comes from uh, a tiny little college, and and uh, you know seems like he's always played with the chip on his shoulder. Maybe this is just the reignition of a chip on the shoulder. There's just no way that the Memphis Grizzlies are the most hated team in the NBA. Like they are so far behind the Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets in terms of being hated in the NBA. Am I wrong about this, Andrew? Is this just John Morant trying to
2: motivate himself? I don't think you're wrong, Coulter. I can also see a way in which John Morant is I think he's thinking about it in his head as like most hated by other teams right okay i can can see that i mean they've got a bunch of beef with other teams there's the shannon sharp incident but they got into it with the pacers did you hear about that the aftermath of that one uh, no tell me about this well i mean first of all i i agree just in terms of their personnel they
1: have very many well i mean steven adams is kind of like the last enforcer left right he's like the last throwback guy flexing on everybody John Morant not only dunks on you and then screams in your face, but then retweets it on Twitter constantly. I mean, Desmond Bate is kind of a hard-nosed guy, Jaron Jackson. So they do have some guys that are a little bit abrasive. I could totally see that.
2: Definitely. John Morant's a brash guy. They got Dylan Brooks, who gets into fights with everybody. So they got into it with <laughs> I the Pacers. Dylan Brooks, too. My gosh. Yeah, what a team, right? Right. Um, they got into it with the Pacers the other night, and after the game, like down in the bowels of the arena – Some guys on the Pacers bus were saying that somebody in an SUV that John Morant got into was shining a laser (laughs) at and around the occupants of this bus. Oh, my gosh. Just like trolling them with the laser. Nobody
1: knows. (laughs) Oh, man. Like a laser pointer or like a... Like a Doctor Evil, a laser. I don't. What are we talking about here? I guess nobody, nobody knows.
2: Nobody knows. That's why it's controversial. Like, is this a you know, is this attached to a weapon? Is it just a laser pointer? Like, because John Morant's also the kind of guy who's like, he's got the, uh, he's got like the hood attitude,
1: right? Sure. I also think it's guys like Dylan Brooks are so funny too, because, I mean. He's like Draymond Green light, right? But Draymond Green's been pulling the shtick for a decade now where he's like, oh, man, nobody officiates me fairly. Everybody's out to get Draymond Green. And it's like, dude, you are straight talking smack and ripping people to shreds before the game even starts. Like you're trying to pick a fight in warm-ups. Bill Brooks the same way he's elbowing guys and undercutting them and doing all this Draymond like stuff and then he acts like oh woes me it's just it's funny I wish and that's the one thing I wish is I wish that the, I love that guys like that exist I wish they would just embrace their roles and not try to like scapegoat themselves it's not anybody's fault but your own but also like that's why you are in the NBA getting paid it's
2: totally cool to be like that just embrace it yeah and one last point about those two guys those two guys are so important for teams like this right Draymond's oh, yeah. Edge was so important to the up-and-coming Warriors, right? Because Draymond's barking and snarling at everybody. That's part of what gives you the confidence to believe when you haven't won anything, you're up-and-coming, to believe that you can take on these teams in the playoffs. Uh, And also, both those Warriors and the Grizzlies now with John Morant have like guards who you kind of need to protect a little bit in the NHL way of like if you foul this guy hard... You're going to get a shot across the chops coming back. Well, the superstars always need people to protect
1: them. I mean, it, it, Isaiah Thomas needed you know the Bill and and the and the Dennis. Rodman. But especially
2: those two guys because they're like yeah. small
1: guards. You they're, know, totally, 100. Um, percent The Grizzlies are, are are an interesting team. I love their roster makeup. We're going to come back to that uh, in just a minute. is now ESPN Radio. The last thing I say about Dylan Brooks, I don't want to waste too much airtime talking about Dylan Brooks, but. He is Draymond Green light, but also he needs to be more consistent in his uh, production, and he to be what he needs to be for them. He just needs to be better. Like that's Draymond got away with a lot of stuff because he was also one of the best defensive players in the league. He's also one of the best passing forwards maybe ever in the in the NBA when he's at his best. And he was knocking down you know 40 percent of his threes. Dylan Brooks is shooting it like not very good this year, and he just needs to be better if he's going to act like that. I think. Let's uh, talk about some of the two of the biggest storylines in the league right now. First of all, and I, I I know it's so funny things that you guys tell me that you hear on the show. I hear from a lot of you a lot of a, a, a lot of times. You guys, you guys love when our good friend Carol, the chick does no sports, comes by and dogs on Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. You love the music especially when our dude Rajim Seabrook is in studio. And then I always hear from people whenever I talk about LeBron James, and not one person ever tells me, man, Coulter, you're so spot on about LeBron James. He's just the man. We love LeBron James too. All you people out there like, I can't believe you like LeBron. How could you possibly like LeBron? And I think it's crazy that that's where we've reached right now. I don't know how this got so far off the rails. Like how did LeBron James become like, the hoodie and the blowfish of nba players where he's like overexposed and then you hate him I, I don't get it like i i hear people say he's soft how is he soft like because he knows how to manage his minutes and his body and he knows how to peak at the end and that's why he's one of the most durable athletes in the history of pro sports in america oh you don't like that he's at, you got some social activism behind him I man i don't know what to tell you man LeBron James is one of one, not only in his physical gifts, but also in the pedestal we put him on when he was a young, a young kid, the exploitation we've ran him through for two decades, and then the fact that now here he is again, one of the best players in the NBA, and he's marching toward what a lot of people thought was one of the most unbreakable records in all of pro sports, and that's the all-time scoring record, held by the one and only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron's going to break it here in the next couple weeks. And you know, I mean in year 20 at age 38, he's averaging 30 points a game and he's in he's seventh in the league in scoring. I know that the Lakers are outside the playoff picture looking in, but I just think that there's I guess I think that there's a little bit of a a double standard here. Like Tom Brady we sat there and I mean There's a freaking 10-part documentary about Tom Brady's career, the man in the arena, before he even retired. And then all of a sudden, we just have to continue to massage and massage and massage. And it's just so great that Tom Brady has such great longevity and yada, yada, yada. I mean, Tom Brady left his family not once but twice. He's egregiously uh, egotistical and obsessed with himself. It's not even comparable to me in terms of their arcs as impactful Americans, yet for whatever reason, people just sit there and hate on LeBron James, and I think it's crazy. Like, if this, if this was happening in a different sport or with a different player, the pursuit of this all-time scoring record, it would be nothing but roses. And for whatever reason, this is like being talked about sort of about in passing on the daily shows. But there's not like a documentary coming out about LeBron James's pursuit of Kareem's record. There's not like this crazy uh, LeBron watch for when he's going to make the you know break the record. I, I just think it's completely unfair. And I mean, you can, everybody's entitled to your opinion. If you don't like LeBron James, you think he's a flopper, you think he's soft, you think he's a team jumper, you know, you think he's he's that in it for himself, whatever. You can think whatever you want. At the end of the day, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar retired, this was considered one of the holy grails of all time in pro sports, uh, not the least of which the NBA. And now LeBron James is going to break this record, and he might play for a couple more years. He might put this thing so far in the rear view. Uh, It's it's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, I, I am steadfast in what I think about all this. I think we should praise LeBron James for his consistency, for his trailblazing, and more than anything, for his ability to endure what was an impossible spotlight that we put upon him, and he's done nothing but live up to and exceed the expectations that we bestowed upon him when he was a young kid. Why
2: isn't this a bigger deal? Well, I think part of it is, and I am going to push back against you a little bit, I hear a ton about this record. Yeah, The front page of ESPN.com the last couple of days has been LeBron, there's a great story about him, out today, uh, they're centering this record. I, I'm hearing a lot about it, and I, the people, at least who I interact with, I don't get as much LeBron backlash as you do. Yeah, so there's that. Yeah, okay. But I think, I think part of it, Coulter, is exactly why he's going to break the record, right? He's been around for so long. We've been hearing sure. about him for, for so sure. long. For sure. He's been doing the same thing for so long. That's the crazy part. He hasn't slipped at all. Now, I don't know why that would lead to, uh, you know, backlash or hate or vitriol from a certain segment of people. But I think that's part of of what's going into it. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in his
1: uh, last three seasons in the NBA, averaged 17.5 points per game, 14.6 points per game, and 10.1 points per game. He played 20 full seasons in the National Basketball Association, the same as LeBron. And he he faded, gracefully, for sure, but faded down the stretch of his career, whereas LeBron James is playing at one of the all-time highest levels uh, that we've ever seen of a player of his age and of his experience uh, in the NBA. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MTF. The last point I'll make on this, and this is something I've been thinking about uh, intensely, is at some point, all of us are complicit in in our opinions of professional athletes because we consume the overexposure of them. What I'm getting at is there was very few unbelievably elite players in the National Basketball Association in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even into the 90s that we disliked because of their social media. There was no one that we disliked because of their social media. It didn't exist. But because of their opinions on things, or because of what they stood for. Actually, that's one place in which Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron James do have a parallel. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of the first socially active professional athletes. He famously and infamously changed his name from Lou Alcindor after his outstanding college basketball career at UCLA to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, joined the Nation of Islam. That then came with an unbelievable amount of vitriol from the American public. And I, I personally think that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, even though widely considered one of the 20 greatest players in NBA history, is also one of, if not the most underrated players in NBA history. And so much of that is because of his personality, his uh, desire to sort of keep to himself, the fact that he had a wide-ranging uh, spread of interests, and because of the way that he he operated and changed his name and and made controversial decisions that were very much in the public eye. But to me it's like I always say this like I don't care what Kanye West has to say about anything. All I want is to listen to Kanye West's music. I don't care what he thinks about anything. And it's our fault as a society and as a media for giving him a platform to say anything about anything besides just the music. It's the same thing with LeBron. You can talk about all the off the court stuff you want. He is a prodigy who fulfilled his potential. To me, that's amazing. I don't understand how uh, we we don't praise LeBron for his personal accomplishments, yet we give Tiger Woods the ultimate uh, redemption. We give Tiger Woods the ultimate forgiveness. We give Tom Brady the ultimate forgiveness. Why is LeBron James so maligned in certain ways? Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's fascinating to me. And again, why should it matter? It's on us for consuming and caring about the personalities. I'm I'm, I'm not uh, abstaining from this. I'm not outside of this. I I was just telling our guy Jeff Safford. I very much enjoy watching Aaron Rodgers play football. I very much don't enjoy uh, listening to Aaron Rodgers talk. But, But Aaron Rodgers talking doesn't have any influence on my opinion of Aaron Rodgers, the player. And I hate that I actually have an opinion on Aaron Rodgers, the person, Because, again, these guys are entertainers that play sports. Why do we care what they have to say about anything besides the the results within the game? No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. The other big piece of news uh, in the NBA is the trade of Kyrie Irving. He's getting traded to Dallas. He he was traded to Dallas. And uh, it's fascinating looking at the betting odds and fascinating listening to the national pundits. Dallas... I think went from 16 to one to six to one odds to win the NBA championship. The Brooklyn Nets went from eight to one to, I think, 20 to one. I actually haven't checked this in like four days, so don't quote me on either of those, but the point is, the Dallas Mavericks became highly elevated as uh, favorites for the NBA championship, and the Brooklyn Nets became uh, much less likely in terms of the Vegas odds. I know I'm a contrarian, but I also believe that Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks does not improve their title chances hardly at all, and I think it improves if Kevin Durant stays in Brooklyn, which he's negotiating. The, uh, the headline on ESPN right now is he's in talks with the Brooklyn Nets about the future of their franchise. Well, if, if Kevin Durant stays in Brooklyn, they can get any sort of production out of Ben Simmons, and then they add Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith to the mix, then I think Brooklyn wins that trade. I I know I've talked about this pretty much till I blew in the face for five years now on this show, but more ball-dominant, scoring-oriented players on the same team doesn't make you better. And in fact, I think it would actually make you worse Because in the NBA, especially in the NBA playoffs, getting the ball into the hands of the best guys in the world is the way that you're going to win. I don't know why you'd ever want to set up a scenario in which Luka Doncic didn't have the ball in his hands. The one thing that Kyrie Irving can bring to a team in the best-case scenario, but the best-case scenario for Kyrie is years in the past. The best thing he can bring is that although Kyrie is a ball-dominant player that can create his own shot, he's got a great handle, he also can... At times, catch and shoot, and he's a great shooter. So maybe in the perfect world, he could compliment Luka Doncic. But what gives you the belief that that could possibly happen? I mean, Kyrie Irving, since he left Cleveland, has been an unmitigated disaster. He went in and basically ruined the Celtics made one of the proud franchises in the, in the NBA unwatchable. The moment they got rid of him, they've been back in the conference finals pretty much every year. The year he was hurt, Terry Rozier made them go to the conference finals and was way better than Kyrie with that group of guys. Then he goes to Brooklyn and just no-shows. Dude's making like $50 million a year, and he just doesn't show up for work half the time. It, it, it was a complete calamity on the court, off the court, and uh, I just don't, I mean, like Ryan Rosillo said on his podcast earlier this week, I wouldn't give Kyrie Irving $5, let alone trust him to be the the missing ingredient to an NBA championship. Uh, I I know I'm a contrarian, but you want to know what the Dallas Mavericks needed to do to truly be a conference and uh, NBA championship contender? They need to re-sign Jalen Brunson, not trade for Kyrie Irving. You might be out there saying, well, Kyrie Irving's way better than Jalen Brunson. Not for next to Luka Doncic. That's the whole point I'm I'm trying to make. We'll get into that element of the NBA in just a minute. What do you think of the
2: Kyrie Irving trade, Andrew? I got a lot of conflicting thoughts on this one, (laughs) Colter. I got a lot of conflicting thoughts. Uh, Surprising, right, when you're dealing with Kyrie Irving. Uh, First of all, I think the Jalen Brunson thing is a bit of a non-sequitur. Sure. It would have been nice if they had re-signed him with as well as he's playing for the Knicks this year. He's playing great. I think in hindsight, you would have liked to have re-signed him for the Mavs, but I think... Uh, it was a defensible decision in the offseason with the evidence that they had in the offseason not to sign him to that big contract. Sure. So that's the first thing. Second thing, as far as the, I, I think the Nets got a lot of good pieces out of this trade. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a good piece for them. I think that Kevin Durant's going to have to keep up his ridiculous pace. Yes. If they want to be a true NBA title contender, but I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that this makes them any less of an NBA title contender because they got some good pieces back and Kyrie Irving has just been so unreliable. Now, I'm more bullish on than you are on the on-court fit for Kyrie Irving with the Dallas Mavericks because Coulter he's played with ball-dominant stars most of his career, right? He was successful with LeBron James. In Cleveland, right, because everybody's successful with the James because he knows how to share but, the ball. But but he's been successful with Kevin Durant this season in Brooklyn. Brooklyn had a good had has a good record with him. Brooklyn was playing well after they replaced Steve Nash with Jacques Vaughn as the head coach, and it looked like it was working. I mean, at the end of the year, they were the hottest team in the NBA. I know they've fallen off a little bit. They're currently in fifth, and that's a tough Eastern Conference. But I think it was working out with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn this year. He can play off the ball when Luka's on the court, but the most important thing that he does for Dallas is making so that you don't have to play Luka 40 minutes a night, right? Sure. Because their offense completely craters with him off the court. For sure. That's the biggest flaw for Dallas. So if Kyrie Irving is playing the second banana when he's sharing the floor with Luka Doncic and then is able to carry the offense, sort of slide into that Luka role, when Doncic goes and sits and you can get him some rest, keep him fresh for the playoffs. I like the on-court fit for Dallas, although I think they gave up a little bit too much. But of course, the last conflicting thought on this trade is that it can't always be about the on-court stuff with Kyrie Irving. That's right. And I guess how I mean
1: Doncic is he, he's a one of one, right? Because because of not only his his game but also sort of his personality. A lot of guys of his age, you'd want to get like a surly veteran that could like show him the ways of the the NBA or whatever – he doesn't need that because he's... He, he's he like, had that locked in since he was playing for Real Madrid. I mean, he's been a pro since he was like 12. <laughs> like he, The guy is, you know, he's like a 10-year veteran at 23 years old. So he totally doesn't need that part of it, right? Like like the Celtics did this with Jason Tatum, right? They tried to bring in Al Horford and Marcus Smart and, and these guys to sort of ease the burden on him. And uh, Luka doesn't need that. But also, like, how much of a distraction is Kyrie Irving? How much does that bring you down as a franchise? More than anything, though... Kyrie Irving hasn't really contributed to meaningful winning in the NBA in several years. And so I know he was okay with Durant when he was available. That was so hit and miss when he was available in Brooklyn. And uh, I don't know, man. It's my personal opinion that in the NBA, if you have a a defined true superstar and then you have a whole bunch of great role players around them, that's the best way to win. I mean, that was going to be my next point here. It's Nuance Now ESPN Radio. You look at the teams right now with the best records in the NBA. In the uh, in the East, it's the Celtics, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Cavs. In the West, it's the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Kings, of all teams, are in th- uh, third place in the West. But what do the Celtics have? Amazing roster construction that are built around Jason Tatum, and then they have a hierarchy of stars around him. What do the Bucks have? They have a pillar in Giannis with great role players around him. What do the 76ers have? And this is to give all the credit in the world to James Harden because I have dogged on James Harden on this show many times. James Harden has become way more of a consummate point guard next to Joel Embiid. That's why the 76ers are a true contender. The Cavs, great roster construction. The Nuggets, they got the man in the middle who's maybe the easiest superstar in the league to build around. The Grizzlies, they got John Morant and a bunch of great role players around him. Roster construction is more important than ever. I just personally think that Luka Doncic surrounded by great role players, Kevin Durant surrounded by great role players, gives you a better chance in this NBA to make a run than those guys paired with other superstars. Yeah, the Mavs didn't have that, though. They didn't have the great role players around him. That, that's right. The Mavs uh, have and they're, they're, several players that are not very good that play a lot. And they don't have quality role players. Right. Like Max Kleber is only going to
2: get you so far. Yeah, and Dinwiddie's a nice piece. Whatever, Colter. But yeah, I think yeah, you're, the, right. you're right. the Mavs were in a tough place compared to those other teams as far as roster construction because they didn't really have a ton of other guys who you can count on in a playoff series around Luka Doncic. They're capped out. They didn't have a ton of moves they can make, and that's why in the end here... I think they got a little desperate, and and a lot of these teams that we're talking about do have a second star or at least a second all-star level player around the main guy, right? Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton, Harden in Philly, uh, et cetera, et cetera. but, But those guys have to be able to default to be number two.
1: That's, like, every Michael Jordan needs a Scottie Pippen, right? Like, Chris Middleton's an all-star, and he's very well aware that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player on the team. That's where James Harden deserves credit, because he was the dude forever, and now he's been like, okay, I'm going to be the all-star point guard, but I am not the man. Joel Embiid's the man.
2: But that's where you got to give Kyrie credit, too, because he did it with LeBron, and he did it with Kevin Durant. And Luke is the same level as those guys. Totally.
1: The day that Kyrie Irving... Man, we'll see. We'll see. It it would be... uh, I personally, and I know Kyrie Irving is a very uh, lightning rod type figure right now. I've always loved Kyrie's game, and I've always wanted Kyrie to be good. And when he was good for that moment in time in terms of winning basketball with the Cavs, I thought it was great. It's been disappointing to watch how it's gone since then. uh, But maybe this is a redemption story. Maybe getting out of Brooklyn... Uh, we'll be good for him. I want to keep talking some NBA, so we'll take a break. And we'll come right back. More NBA plus a history lesson here on is Now. It's ESPN Radio. One is now I'm on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Talking all about the NBA and the New Jersey, I guess not New Jersey, Brooklyn Nets. But either way, that's why I was playing some hove. A little Jay-Z for you here uh, on your Tuesday. Welcome back. You want is now, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN MT app. We were on the TV. We might still be. I don't know. We'll see. It's on commercial right now. Maybe we're coming back. <laughs> Regardless, how you're tuning in. Oh, yeah, there we are. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, we've been talking NBA. We're going to keep talking NBA, and then we'll uh, give you a little history lesson here to take you home. I think the other thing, though, Andrew, is Andrew Houghton, our producer behind the glass, joining me uh, here for some NBA conversation. I, I, I love that we're seeing sort of the, uh, not only the emergence individually, uh, but the emergence in terms of their team success of a lot of these new age superstars, whether it's Luka Doncic. In Dallas, or John Morant in Memphis, or Nikola Jokic in Denver, or Giannis Antetokounmpo is not emerging. He has been emerged. He's been a multiple-time MVP and won a championship, but still a young player. I think that's great. And uh, then you also have some of the other uh, sort of stalwart squads in the league that are uh, sort of on the outside looking in in terms of contention with the Golden State Warriors, partly because of Steph Curry being in and out of the lineup. The Los Angeles Lakers, partially from Anthony Davis being in and out of the lineup, but more than anything, the rest of the roster just not being very good. The Clippers, who were a lot of people... I mean, Bill Simmons is one of the most respected commentators and one of the most respected analysts of the NBA. He was pumping the Clippers as the Western Conference champions coming into this year. I believe Sports Illustrated picked the Clippers to win the West and they have been very average at best, and, and average for them giving the guys on their team is bad. And then you also got the Blazers with Dame Dalla out there, Damian Lillard, uh, doing all he can. He's scoring 40 pretty much every night, but he doesn't have any help. So it's just interesting to see the the squads with the Kawhi Leonard's and LeBron James and Steph Curry's and Damian Lillard's uh, not among the contenders. Is this a changing
2: of the guard in the NBA? It feels like a transitional year, Coulter, which has been uh, incredible to watch. And and it, it really is a testament to the guys who are fading out, right? That LeBron sure. has staved this off for as long as he <laughs> has. Sure. That for the sure. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Warriors have staved off falling uh, back to the pack for as long as they have. I mean, really, Coulter, you think about it. We haven't had one of these years in the NBA in a long time. Maybe the last one was when the Warriors were coming up. Yeah. But even then, you could tell it was this one team. It didn't feel as wide open back then as it, as it has. And, you know, when you think about it from a pre- fan's perspective, I've been watching the NBA seriously for about 20 years. How many of these changing of the guard eras have we had? Not many. Not many. That, because right. it, it was Kobe, the Spurs... Yeah. Then the LeBron era? For sure. Then the Steph Curry Warriors era. It doesn't happen that often. And that's why it feels like this one is so uh, portentous and important, right? Because the team that comes out of this uh, sort of transitional era as the alpha dog potentially can make a run at the top and seize the next era for themselves. I'm reading this great book by Jack McCallum called Golden Days.
1: And it's uh, sort of about the parallels between the Lakers of the 1960s and 1970s, and then the, the transition into the, the, this mercurial rise of the Golden State Warriors because of a change in leadership, but also because the emergence of Steph Curry. And the, the central figure of this book is Jerry West. He was on those Lakers teams in the 60s and 70s, and then uh, in the front office for the Golden State Warriors as they built what has become the dynasty of the last decade or so. But you're right. I mean, that's what the NBA has been defined by throughout the history of the NBA, is the Minneapolis Lakers of George Bikin. And then it was the Boston Celtics of Bill Russell for 10 years. And then Jerry West and Will Chamberlain, those guys broke through in the early 70s. And the 70s is probably the only real era in the league where it was all over the place. And part of that's because of the merger. Part of that's because of the lifestyle. There's a lot of drugs in the NBA then, and it was really messing up the league, but the 70s was the only time in the NBA where there was all sorts of different contenders. You had those early 70s Lakers teams, then the Knicks teams of the mid-70s, then you had the merger, then you had that run where there was, I mean, there's only what? I think there's only three NBA franchises with one championship, and they were won in the span of four years. The Washington Bullets, the Seattle Supersonics, and the Portland Trailblazers each only have one championship. Those were all won in the late 70s, but then... Bird, Magic, and Isaiah hit the league. They dominated the eighties, and then Michael Jordan hit the league. They the Bulls dominated the nineties, and then you know, like you just broke down beautifully, the Shaq, Kobe Lakers, the Spurs, whatever LeBron was at, and then the Warriors, and that's been it. And so I think that's the most interesting part about this is there is so many contenders to rise up and claim the throne. Whether you know it's the John ja Morant Grizzlies or the Denver Nuggets of Nikola, with Nikola Jokic or, or Doncic or all these different guys. Who do you think is, like, the front runner to ascend
2: to the throne? Well, let me throw this at you, Coulter, and that's a loaded, loaded question. So I'm going to go sure. someplace else for a second while I consider that. Here's why I think it's happening now. Hmm. We're finally seeing the sort of repercussions and the evening out of the new era and the new strategy and the new tactics that the Steph Curry Warriors originated, right, for a long time. I think that's partially why they had so much success, not only because of the great talent on that team, but because they were the pioneers and they were the ones who veered so hard in the direction of the pace and space, we're going to shoot the three over everything totally. era, right? And it's like once you see that a team can succeed like that, it's like throwing a big, big rock into the pool, right? And now it's been five, six years later, everything's changed, but those ripples are starting to even out. Everybody knows that this is maybe the way that you build a title contender in this era. And so we're seeing all that start to even out, and a bunch of teams starting to embrace that, and a bunch of teams starting to pick up on what the Warriors did and get to that level.
1: I also think that...
2: We haven't heard the last of the Warriors. I do
1: think we've heard the last of the Lakers. Like I don't the Lakers might inch their way into the playoffs or something in the next couple of years, but like I think that LeBron James is if he's going to win another championship, he's going to have to Team up with somebody else and go somewhere else. I, I think that the days of the Lakers are, are, are finished. And yeah, I-
2: everybody's saying, you know, I think the, the one thing that everybody's holding a lot of hope for it for the Lakers is well, if they get LeBron and Anthony Davis back healthy for a playoff run at the top of their games, you still got to watch out for them. I think that ship has sailed.
1: I mean, Anthony Davis has just been a non-factor for several years now. Since
2: the bubble, he's just been unavailable. He's going to do that for a full playoff run? He's going to stay healthy for a full playoff run where he's playing high-intensity games every other night for two months? I don't see it. So I'm with you. I
1: don't see it either. Uh, And, uh, you know, right now, they're going to have to show me to be able to prove it, but I I don't believe in any of the teams in the West right now. I, I, I believe in... Memphis, Denver, and uh, definitely Memphis and Denver's ability to run through the West and get to the finals, but I don't believe in their ability to beat one of those top three teams in the East. I think, though, it, it, this the, the question I asked you comes down to three teams and three guys. One, Giannis Antetokounmpo, somehow, someway, despite... Multiple MVPs and a championship. They still are like secondary when we're talking about title contenders, even though I think they should be absolutely the favorite. I said this exact same thing last year, too. Then injuries kind of derailed them. But, you know, you have to think that they would have been right there as the Eastern Conference representative playing the Warriors. So I think it first and foremost goes through Milwaukee. Jason Tatum is – is he's he's a he's a superstar already, but, like, he's knocking on the door of being that guy, like the guy – in the league, but then the other guy is he's finally proven that he can get into shape, he's finally proven that he can stay healthy. It's Joel Embiid, man. And to me, that would be an unbelievable story if, after a 10 year saga of just being trash on purpose, the 76ers actually brought a t- championship back home to Philly. That would be pretty crazy. It's crazy because the saga has been going for so long. It's easy to forget, and Bead's only twenty eight years old. Like that's when most real champions break through is in their late twenties. So, so maybe that's on the
2: horizon in Philadelphia. He's playing incredible this year. I think I would have them a tier. I think it's between Boston and Milwaukee for me. And yeah. and, and the thing in Boston, Jason Tatum just has such a great situation around him, too, because he's got the perfect sidekick in Jalen Brown, a guy who is legitimately all-star level.
1: I mean, they also have one of the great role players in the league in Marcus Smart.
2: I mean, and Al Horford and Robert Williams, and they got Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, they're just collecting these guys who fit so perfectly into a role where any of them can step up and be the third-best player on the team for a night, but none yep. of them have to. And this is what I'm always talking about with browser
1: Construction. The Celtics are the best constructed team in the league. That's why they got the best record in the league. It's not that hard to figure out. What's a, a, a last couple things here on the NBA. Um, to me, in terms of the grid, the, I think the two biggest contenders in the West are the Grizzlies and the, and the Nuggets. To me, the Grizzlies, the thing that's the biggest obstacle for them, is pretty easy to define. And I think it's twofold. I think, one, they just got to prove they can do it because they're super young. And two, got to prove that they don't lose their minds in huge games because they do have a lot of volatile personalities. I mean, Steven Adams and uh, and Dylan Brooks both could, you know, freak out and, and get in a situation in the playoffs that, you know, then gets you in trouble, gets you technicals, gets you suspended, whatever. That's pretty easy to define. For the Nuggets, what's the missing link here? I mean, how does the Nuggets get over the top? Jokic is the Vegas favorite to win the MVP again. He's... Uh, proving to be one of the most diverse big men in NBA history, but they've stalled out in the playoffs.
2: What's what's the next step for Denver? I think just doing it. I mean, I think they've got all the pieces in place on that team, right? I mean, there, there are areas where you look at and say, well, maybe they can improve here. Maybe they can improve there. I think they've got enough around Nikola Jokic this year to where you want to see them I mean, make a run to the Western Conference Finals, at least. right? And, and Jokic is hitting new heights this year. He's going to average, or he's damn near averaging right now, a triple-double as a center, yeah. which is about the craziest thing that I've ever heard. They've got pieces around him, man. Uh, Aaron Gordon, uh, Michael Porter Jr., if he's staying healthy. It's a really, I mean, and they're tied with the Bucks, a game behind the Celtics for the best record in the league. All that's left for them to do is, is prove it. And I don't have any more questions about them. What about... A guy that we've discussed, do you, do you, would you put Luka Doncic in the Mavericks? That They made the Western Conference Finals last year. I think that Jokic
1: and Doncic, not just because of their Eastern European origins, but I think that they have the biggest challenge of any of the superstars in the league. Because I do think that while while I think that the narrative of the NBA players not playing defense is the most overblown, stupid thing, like when people tell me I don't like the NBA because they don't play defense, that's just stupid. you're 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 wrong. They play such in uh, such intricate and well schemed defense that you can't help like a high school basketball game. It's not like you were taught in Montana high school basketball to switch and help and all that stuff. You can't do that in the NBA. Every guy can make a three-pointer. Every guy can make a wide-open shot. So the the, the schemes are, are high. But I do think that there is a, a, a little bit of truth to the narrative of the, the level of intensity that teams and players play at. And I think that's why I start liking the league right now because you can tell it gets ratcheted up a notch. And then you get down the stretch, another notch. And then you get in the playoffs, another notch. The thing that's so brilliant about both Jokic and Doncic is that they they don't have to go up a notch to be brilliant. But it also remains to be seen if they have another notch because they can just cruise through games. That's what I want to know is, is there a playoff Luka that, that can emerge? I mean, he did it last year. I, I, he did. You're right. They went to the Western Conference Finals last year. He's just going to have to do that, though, not just for one series. For them to do it. He's going to have to do it for the duration of the playoffs.
2: Definitely, and that's why it's so difficult for them because it is so easy for them on the offensive end, right? But also the way those teams are constructed, they're going to have the ball in their hands and they're going to need to be creating a shot for for forty minutes a night in the playoffs, every possession, right? And and that's the notch where you just it's it's just such a difficult ask. Last thing here on the NBA is uh,
1: first of all, like I said, don't count out the Warriors. But I also think that the Sacramento Kings, unfortunately, they're, they're having an a, a all-time great start, or at least a, a recently all-time great start in the, over the last 20 years or so right now. But I think a part of it is aided by the fact that the Clippers are still figuring it out. The Suns, are they going to make moves or not? But if they do make a move, how much does that help them? What if they land Kevin Durant? That could be a total game changer. Steph Curry back in the mix. I mean, is Carl Anthony Towns coming back in Minnesota? All I'm saying is there's a lot of teams that have been not at full strength that could easily catch the the Kings if they get their guys back. So that might be a team that that fades from the pack.
2: Number three to number, I mean, 12, 13 in the West, separated by less than seven games that, right now that, from the right. Kings to the Lakers. Last thing for me on the NBA, Coulter, can the Washington Wizards please come up with an injury for Bradley Beal and drop <laughs> into this tank race? Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? That is one of the dumbest it is
1: just absolutely crazy. You wonder why certain teams get stuck where they're stuck. It's because you give Bradley Beal two hundred fifty million dollars. It's just there's no world in which you understand anything about the NBA that that's a good contract. It's
2: it's crazy. Let's trade Kristaps Porzingis. Let's bottom out here. Let's let's get a <laughs> shot at Victor Wembanyama and, and uh, let's. Pack it in for the year. We don't need to be 24 and 29 right now.
1: Uh, no, they don't. Uh I was down ESPN Radio. will give you uh, what's coming up the rest of the week. Right after this, keep it right here. ESPN Radio. 3 One is now on ESPN Radio. Do we know how far? Oh, 36. I got it right here. 36 points away for LeBron James from the all-time scoring record. I'm mostly curious, not only because I love LeBron James, but also I got, I got a little coin on him breaking it, the record on February 9th. So uh, we, need, we need not 36 points tonight. Uh, fingers crossed for the <laughs> underman. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. Yeah, I made that bet so long ago. And if it hits, it's going to be five. They only put like five bucks on it. But uh, if it hits, it was like, yeah, I don't know, 20 to one or something like that. So,
2: yeah, uh, I'm worried about go... you, though, man, because it just feels like he's going to put up a 50 burger to just break, to break it. it. I mean, it's, right.
1: yeah. Well, either way, uh, something to pay attention to. Duadas Dalio, Spin Radio, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we will be back at it tomorrow. Switch it up a little bit. In terms of our uh, slate, usually we do Around the Big Sky Women's Hoops on Wednesday, but that's on Thursday, uh, this uh, tomorrow, or excuse me, this week. So tomorrow, instead, we'll talk some Super Bowl stuff with Brooks Nuanas. We'll also hear from Ted Dawson, a, a mentor of mine in the media world, and the guy who covered the very first Super Bowl and then had a storied career that led him all the way to Montana for the end of his career. That's where I got to know him. So we'll talk Super Bowl memories with Ted Dawson. We've also got Grizz Hockey, a conversation with Mike Anderson, efforting Carmen G. Feller, so we'll hear that either uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and a whole bunch more. So we'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Stick around here on ESPN Radio. The Seattle Kraken and the uh, Islanders playing right after the show. Their first game back after the uh, All-Star break. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. us now, ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine Delanz of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know, if you've been in an accident, The Advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury, accidents, things like that?